Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the Star Line by a star on the national tour of beautiful The Carol King Musical. He's been on the national tour of Les Mis and several others. We welcome James D. Gish. Hey there, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Absolutely great, James. Let's go beyond the mic. From your first musical role as Beast in Beauty and the Beast in high school to now several national tours, how did your love of musical theater begin? Oh, interesting. You know, it's funny. I <laughs> You did your research. Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> you probably found some horribly incriminating photos. You're like, oh, yes, absolutely. When I was a kid, I really... I didn't. I wasn't interested in music at all, or, or anything like that. I, I liked to sing when I was really young, but I really wanted to be like a cool, like an athlete, or you know, something like that. But I'm like, I'm, I'm extremely uncoordinated, Sean. It's horrific. And so I tried some sports, and I was equally bad at all of them. And then uh, one day, you know, my buddy was hearing me sing to the radio, and he's like, "Oh, you should go out for choir." And I was like, "I'm not gonna do choir." And then my mother was like, "You're gonna do choir." So, so I did choir, and then. Yeah, my high school in, in Bullhead City, Arizona, super small town, they were doing um, Beauty and the Beast, and, and they had already cast it, but their Beast had to leave the show for, for some reason or another. So they were like, hey, do you sing? Do you want to come and audition? And then they gave me the part, and I fell in love with it like that. And I think by my senior year of high school, I was like, this is what I have to try to do with the rest of my life, because I, I just loved it so much, and I, I still do. So what's the best thing about Bullhead City, Arizona? <laughs> I mean, if you were going to say, welcome to Bullhead City, home of, what is it? Bullhead City, home of Mojave. I mean, there, there are a few different things. It's hard to choose. We've got this beautiful, we, the Colorado River flows right along our town. So I would say home of reasonably priced jet ski rentals available every day of the year. Maybe my high school. I loved my high school. We've got casinos, lovely casinos with free parking, which never happens anymore. They call it like mini Vegas, actually, which is which is pretty cool. So there, there are a few different things. I'd say one of those. So who was your rival school? My rival school was River Valley, which has not left my mouth in probably a decade. <laughs> but yeah, River Valley was the name of the other high school. And man, we just hated them. I didn't even like the sports and I hated those guys just because everybody did. I'm sure they were great people, but the rivalry was was very strong because we were the, you know, small town. We were the only two, you know, large public high schools. It, it got pretty intense. You played Vegas. You're on a national Broadway tour. What motivates you every day? A lot of different reasons. I think one of the big things that motivates me is, is that I just want to be better every day. I want to, I mean, I, I have the opportunity to work with ridiculously talented people with the, in each one of them, so many of them, they're just wells of knowledge. You know what I mean? About this industry and about the craft. And um, honestly, it, it's just wanting to improve upon the things that I love to do. You know what I mean? What I get to do, it's, it's unbelievable. I get to stand in front of an audience and, and tell a story and I get to pay my bills with it. That's unbelievable. You know? And I, and I think I'm also, I'm very motivated by, the story that we're telling, you know, Beautiful is a great musical and it tells the story of one of America's truest treasures, Carol King. I think I'm also motivated by, I, I have a lot of dreams. There are a lot of things that I, I want to accomplish and I think I'm aware of them every single day, you know, just as I, I go about my day, things like that are sort of in the back of my mind and that's that's more than enough to, to keep me going. So what's your strongest attribute? If someone was to say, that James, he's got... Hmm. I've, I've never had this, this interview question. This is great. Um, my best attribute, I would like to think, I would like to think my best attribute, and I really can't say for myself, but I'd like to think that I, 
I try very hard to be nice to everybody, which can be a lot sometimes. But we, I don't know, we, we work with, we meet different people all the time, multiple times a week in every city, you know, and, I, and it's always been like that, whether it's cast members or, or, or crew members or local crew or band or stage management or in concerts, you know what I mean, the, the players and, and whatnot. I'm constantly meeting new people, and I, I think something that can happen in this industry sometimes because you get so used to meeting people who are constantly in and out of your life sometimes in a day is you don't, some people don't pay a ton of attention to them or, or try to go up and say hi and all that. And my father especially really instilled in me that, that is the most important thing that you can ever do is just make sure that you always say hi and that you always say thank you. And um, those are things that I actively feel ingrained in my brain throughout the day when I'm interacting with people is, is to say hello and to say thank you. Yeah. So I, I'd like to think it's that, that I, I try very hard to, to strive to do that. Actor James D. Gish from Beautiful the Carol King musical joins us beyond the mic. We all have doubts and weaknesses. How do I how do I list them chronologically, alphabetically? What are you working on? I, I think I'm um, critical, and this is something, you know, a very common one, but it's definitely mine, is I'm critical of myself to an extreme fault. Um, that I, you know, I can uh, go up on stage and give a concert or do a show and feel great and then listen to a recording about it and then completely strip myself of all confidence and gratitude and uh, good feelings about that performance and whether I want to go up and do more of them. You know what I mean? I can sometimes just take that way too far, you know, and I have a lot of people in my life who I very grateful for because they'll check me on that. You know what I mean? And be like, whoa, 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 don't, don't do this to yourself. You know what I mean? You can do this. Like, no, 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 that was still good. What you did was great. You know what I mean? Because I do, um, I hold, I, te- I hold myself to an impossible standard, and I, I think a lot of people do, and that's something that I am constantly trying to, trying to work on, is giving myself a little bit more grace in life. You know what I mean? We're all allowed to not have perfect days, and especially on a tour like this where we're hitting, you know, sometimes a couple different cities in a single week. You're talking about different climates, different allergies, all kinds of things. You know, you've been on a plane two or three times that week sometimes, and then you're getting on stage in front of thousands of people and then you'll you'll despise yourself for missing one note and it's like no no you're still a human being you know what I mean so it's it's trying to learn to uh, give myself a little bit more love on days like that I think how does your family and girlfriend Jess help you with your craft and help you stay grounded well they're they're very <laughs> they know me very well and uh, I think that sometimes they'll even uh give like preemptive strikes, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, you know, hear me warming up sometimes and, and sometimes like this happened just the other day. I have a friend on tour heard me warming up the other day and it was, it was not a great vocal day for me. And I was really struggling to get to some of those notes. And um, she just texted me and she was like, Hey, you sound really great today. And it, she was like, I'm just, I think I'm in the room next to you and you sound fantastic. I can hear you belting in the shower and it's great. <laughs> and I knew I sounded like garbage, but it still made my whole day. You know what I mean? That she took that moment. And so I, I'm really grateful for people like that in my life who, um, who know me well enough. Cause I think she knew that I needed to hear that. And I had a much better show that evening because of it. So yeah, and you know, people talk about like, um, what's it called, like love languages, you know what I mean? I think mine is definitely, like a lot of actors probably, and singers, words of affirmation, you know what I mean? And I, I think the people in my, my close circle have gotten really good at knowing that and um, helping me when they know I need it. Sometimes, you know, right before a show or right after a show when I come off stage or like after a concert, and I'd be like, wow, did I, did I really just make that sound in front of all those people? You know, and, and um, they're very good about keeping me sane. Since Jerry is gone and you can't pick his brain, how 
do you approach the role of Jerry and Beautiful? Well, um, the first thing, you know, even before I got the part, I watched some interviews that I could find of Jerry Goffin just to, you know, try to get a sense of his essence of like who he was, how he talked, what his attitude was, his outlook and everything. Obviously some Google searching, you know what I mean? But there, there really aren't a ton of materials out there on Jerry Goffin that are very specific. A lot of them just sort of list his credits and his relationship with Carol, which kind of made it difficult. But one nice thing is our our creative team on Beautiful, our directors and whatnot, uh, music directors, they've all been working on the show for, for a very long time, you know, from since it's, you know, they first directed it on Broadway. And um, while I have not gotten to meet Jerry, you know, I never got to meet Jerry, they did. They have become, you know, really great assets for me because I'm able to sort of talk to them and try to get a sense of who he was. And uh, so there was a lot of that. And Jerry also, you know, he dealt with a lot of mental health issues, which unfortunately, you know, when when he was first starting to deal with them all the way back in, you know, the 60s, that wasn't really something that people dealt with or talked about. And um, it's really only been recently, you know, especially since like the pandemic, that Issues like mental health have really come to the forefront of things that we, you know, in our society are comfortable talking about. So there's a, a, quite a, a pressure to to do justice to his memory, to depict him and his mental his mental struggles as believably and responsibly as I can. So yeah, a lot, a lot of research and, and some research into the the mental illnesses that they believed that he had, so that I could try to find you know ways to make that look as authentic as possible too. It's time for the rocking eight, eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure, James. Okay. Would you rather have love or money? Love. Which billiards game are you the best at? Billiards game? Standard eight ball. Favorite of the Harry Potter movies and why? Favorite Harry Potter movie would definitely be the first one because it was my escape as a kid and sometimes it still is. What do you collect? I collect books. So what's your most unique book? Oh, my most unique book that I have. Oh, I don't know. I read a lot of uh, pretty mainstream books. I have one really good book. I read a lot of fantasy and and sci-fi, you know, Game of Thrones, stuff like that. But I read one book called Breath by James Nestor, which is all about, like, the lost art of breathing properly and how, like... Um, humans are evolving in a way that's actually kind of detrimental to our, our health when in regard to like our nasal passages and our noses and everything, you know, just boring singer crap, I guess. But, <laughs> but it was interesting to me. And I was like, you know, a lot of, I, don't, I bet a lot of people haven't read this book, but it's a great book. If anybody's interested in improving their respiratory. <laughs> Do you remember the last dream you had? The last dream I had, I, yes, I do remember it. Um, there were zombies, and that was because I was watching a zombie movie last night. And uh, I don't remember exactly what was going on, but there were zombies. <laughs> and I this I have this dream all the time. Not the zombie dream, but this part. I, I fell off of something, <clears throat> and it was a long fall, and I was falling into, like, dark water. And I'm always jumping or falling into that dark water, like just a black pool of water, but I never make it. Well, I wise. never make it into the water. And one of these days, I think I am going to make it, and it's going to be the end of me. I don't know. But I've been having that dream for years, and I have never touched water. What superpower would you not want to have? Reading people's minds. Why? I think that would be the end of me. As a performer, if I was on stage and I could go, and I could (laughs) look at, you know, Susie May in the front row and know that she's going, who does this (laughs) <laughs> who does this schmuck think he is or you know something like that i think i would just probably break down into a the fetal position on stage who would you want to play you on a movie or tv show whoa 
Whoa, what a great question. I All right, this is wild, but I think, uh, I think Andrew Garfield could do a really good me. Yeah, he's kind of a goofball, but still kind of a, you know, cool guy. I don't know. I think I'm a cool guy, <laughs> but I, I think he could do a great job. So how much weight is the most weight you've ever lifted? Ever lifted? Um, this is funny. One of the guys in our cast is a bodybuilder and we work out together all the time. So it feels like a lot to me, but it's, it ain't nothing to him. I think I've benched, I don't know, uh, maybe 200 pounds to something. I don't, let's say to something for the sake of my pride. If you're enjoying these conversations, please check out another beyond the mic episode to find more actors, artists, and people you need to know. We'd also appreciate a like and subscribe on the Good Pods app. It's time for the back half with James D. Gish, star of the Broadway tour, Beautiful, the Carol King musical, Beyond the Mic. James, how did you handle the pressure during the pandemic quarantine, especially with all tours just being canceled? You know, my pandemic was a lot better than a lot of people's. It was definitely difficult, but I, you know, just constantly was trying to remind myself that I still had it really good. You know, I went home with my family and we just hunkered down. You know, we we kind of prepared, did a little doomsday shopping like a lot of people did, you know, and and just sort of stayed at home. And I, I was really grateful to, to be around them. And this was this was back in Bullhead City where they still live. We did that. The pandemic was difficult. You know, there was that first really surreal period for about three months where it kind of was like a nice vacation in a weird way. And then all of a sudden that ended. And I, uh, I was really lucky because like I was saying, I love books. I, I love to write books as well. And, and so I, I spent a lot of time trying to hone that skill a little bit more. And I learned just how much I have to learn <laughs> as a writer. And, and so that was really great that year. I took a lot of classes and things like that. Um, and then I, I got back to work in theater, I think in like the end of March of 2021. So I, I was out of work for about a solid year. And I, I've been very fortunate to get to work consistently since last March. Yeah, no, that was tough. You know, there was all the thoughts of of self-doubt and can I still do this? And, you know, I still struggle with that a little bit more than I think I did before. Stage fright, things like that, just because there's a general anxiety of, you know, you realize just how sort of fragile a lot of things are, especially our industry right now. You know, we're still in sort of a, a precarious position and it feels great to be back. But there, I'll say there's definitely a deeper sense of gratitude of just having having a job and, and a great job at that. What's the one odd thing on your pandemic shopping list? <laughs> I mean, right. the one thing you looked at normally would have said no to, but you know, Hey, 10 pounds of cheese balls. I'm in. There are no rules. Right. Exactly. There are no rules. You can't gain weight during a pandemic. Um, gummy bears, 100% many pounds of gummy bears were consumed over the course of the pandemic. Also green grapes. I have, a very unhealthy relationship with green grapes. And I know that sounds silly because they're like good for you, right? Not at the quantity that I eat them when I buy them. <laughs> I will sit down <laughs> with green grapes that if they're really big and they like have that great pop when you bite into them, I will eat two thirds or sometimes more of one of those really big square by, you know, uh, plastic boxes that you get with the holes in them with like a couple glasses of wine or a, a couple beers or something like that while I'm watching TV and just have the worst stomach ache for the next three hours because I just put three pounds of water and sugar into my stomach. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh God, I can't believe I ate that. All right, gummy bears. And then I'll get, you know, it's, it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> 
Who takes care of your dog, Newsy, when you're on the road? Oh, man. So Newsy, I, I guess now it'd be more accurate to say that he's my parents' dog, but uh, I still call him mine because that's that's my boy. So yeah, he's at home in Bullhead City with our other dog, um, Presley, who's another golden retriever who is definitely named after Elvis Presley um, because we're big music freaks. And Newsy was definitely named after the musical Newsies because we got him the day that I, I closed a production of Newsies where I, I got to play Jack, and that was at a, a regional theater in Phoenix. Um, it was actually like one of my first ever, um, you know, professional like leads in a show. My dad was like, you know, we should name, we should name him Newsy. And I was like, really? <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, I think that's a great idea, dad. Thanks. You know? <laughs> What's the one key for you when you're on the road? I'd say it's a couple of things. I, I, especially recently, I've really had to prioritize sleep. Like if I don't get, you know, eight hours or close to eight hours, even like six and a half or seven, it's just not enough for my body to keep up with the demands of the moving around and, you know, constantly doing the shows and the sound checks and, you know, oh, excuse me, just had lunch. <laughs> but um, so sleep is a really big thing. And I also have realized how important um, alone time is for me, actually, you know, on tour, it's really easy. You know, we have a great group. It's probably the best cast I've ever been a part of. We're, we're all very good friends, truly all of us. And so we do everything together, but there are times when you realize like, oh man, like I really need to just go and sit alone in a room with a book or just listen to some music or watch some TV by myself for the evening and just veg out. And um, so I think it's those two things, just, you know, some alone time, regular alone time, and then getting lots of sleep. You put yourself through the Barrett Honors College at Arizona State with over four hundred performances. So when the last bill was paid, when the bursar sent you that paid in full, what was going through your mind? Relief. Definitely relief. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was um, very, very fortunate to, to be able to be making some good money when I was going to school to pay for, for all of that stuff because, boy, it was expensive. Definitely relief. And I remember um, <laughs> I remember calling my, my mother. She was the first call that I made, and I was like, it's done. I'm done. And then I, um, I went and got a bottle of champagne, and I drank that champagne with my roommates, and then we played video games. And that was how I celebrated as, what, a 21-year-old or 22-year-old, something like that. Which video game did you play? Oh, man, uh, that would have been Smash Bros. at that time, deep into Smash Bros. At that time, you know, with all the characters that just beat the hell out of each other and you just press the same three buttons over and over and expect them to do something different. <laughs> so in love with your solo classical crossover album. What's the one lesson you learned from that experience that you'll take to the next opportunity? You have to make music that's really authentic to who you are if you're ever going to enjoy performing it in a concert. Because when you're when you're not in a character, you know, a musical, it's easy to kind of do any sort of music because you're in a character. But when when I'm on stage and I'm doing concerts, it was very important to me to pick songs that really resonated with me and to do them in styles that I really enjoyed and that felt like me. Even though there are quite a few different styles on that album, each one of them very much felt like a different part of me. You know, the first few concerts that I did after we premiered that and did a little tour with a lot of that music, I, I had picked some songs that were recommended to me that I was, you know, told like, hey, you you definitely have to do this one by this person or that person involved. I, I just didn't enjoy doing them at all. And, and I don't think the audience had the best reactions to those songs. And I realized, I think it was because they just, I don't know, I, they didn't resonate with me. So they didn't resonate with them. So song choice and, and the way you interpret it on the album is everything. And you have to go with, with your gut and not other people's. What was your favorite role from your time at the Phoenix theater company? 
Oh, favorite role, definitely Jack in Newsies, like we were just talking about. Definitely. I mean, I've gotten to play a lot of great parts there. You know, that that theater was my real, like, college education, was getting to work there, truly, you know, um, watching those ridiculous, in Phoenix, Arizona, of all places, just this wonderful professional theater company with this top-notch talent. And I, I had, like, a front row seat to watch all of them, which was awesome. When you're on tour, everyone has one. What's your favorite theater you've ever performed in? Ooh, favorite theater I've ever performed in. We, yeah, I think it's, I think it's this one. There's a theater in Fort Worth, Texas called the, um, the Bass Hall. Definitely that one. It is, there's just something about that theater, like just from the outside of it with like the angels with the stone horn, with the stone trumpets, like that theater is stunning. It's like, and they have all these rows, all these balconies with these like candelabras every like six feet. It's like something out of a Steven Spielberg movie. I don't know, but it was ridiculous. I love that theater. So what's your dream role? Everyone has that role that if I get that, I know. Okay. It's done. Right, I've, right. I've yeah, done yes. It is definitely without a doubt Phantom and the Phantom of the Opera on Broadway. I want that. I, and I know I'm a ways away from it yet because, you know, he's, it's tip, it's always played by, you know, a gentleman of some maturity. You know what I mean? He's, you know, meant to be a well-established artist, you know, older. Um, that is definitely the role. That was one of the first musicals I ever heard that really got me into theater, um, listening to that album over and over. I played the part in high school, my senior year at, at Mojave, where I did Beauty and the Beast. If I, I have to do that part someday. I have to. Once you've played the Phantom, you can hang it up. I'm sure that's probably, honestly, that's probably the case for most of the Phantoms because any guy I feel like in, in America or, or anywhere where music theater is a big thing, who's got that kind of vocal quality, you know what I mean? That's the, that's the show. That's, that's the role. That is the ultimate role. You've played nationwide, starred in Vegas shows. When did you feel that you really had finally made it? Two different times. One of them, I was in a hotel room. And I don't even remember why I was, I was doing some show somewhere, but I can't remember what it was, but it was when the gentleman who, um, my lead producer on So In Love, the album out of Nashville, David Wise, when he first called me after we had met and sung together just by happenstance. And he was like, I need to do an album with you. Let me, you know, I want to do this. You need to do this. Let's do this. Let's get started. And I called my mom and dad and I was like, I did it. I was like, I made it. You know, and then the other one was when I was, I was on my third day of rehearsal with Les Mis. I had just started that tour, you know, third day on the job. And I got another call from my manager saying, um, we just got a call from Beautiful that they want you to come in and do the male lead in that tour. And then I called my mom and dad and I was like, I made it this time I made it. You know what I mean? And so there have been a couple of those times where I was like, this is it, you know? And that was definitely the other one because it was, you know, it was so bittersweet that I had just started this, this wonderful Broadway tour, you know, this legendary show like Miz, and then got called to, to do a bigger role in a different show. Yeah. Those were two days. I'm not going to forget. James, why should people come see beautiful? Beautiful is a very unique and incredible show. It, it's not just any, it is the standard for jukebox musicals. Yes, it's all Carol King's music. It's all Jerry Goffin, Cynthia Weil, Barry Mann, legendary writers. It's all their their best songs. Natural Woman, One Fine Day, uh, Locomotion, Up on the Roof, On Broadway, great songs. But the best part of the show is that they didn't 
just contrived this plot that they this loose plot where they could find reasons to plug in the songs you're actually following carol king from when she's a 16 year old kid pitching her first song to her night opening her one woman show in carnegie hall in new york city and you get to see all of the ups and downs in between and it's not like the the characters just burst into spontaneous song it's like watching something in real life where the characters only sing when they would have sung in real life so when you hear the songs it's often because it's the first time that carol and jerry are ever playing it together or the first time the drifters are performing it on American Bandstand and so there's this essence so it's almost like a straight play with music if that makes sense there's a ton of music the music is frequent it is a musical but it feels like you're almost watching like a movie being played out on stage in which you're seeing what happened in her life and why these songs matter and where they came from based on where she was in her life that's a really cool thing for for audiences to get to witness it's time for one big question with James D. Gish beyond the mic James, who was your first theater teacher, and what would you tell him today? My first music theater teacher wasn't even actually a music theater teacher officially. She was she was for me, but she wasn't in my school. Her name is is Mrs. Rue, Jen Rue, but we all called her Phoebes. It's a very long story. But she was the one who first got me into speech and debate which was, uh, and I did like acting skits, like comedic acting skits and competed with that. And it was actually through her that I, I ended up getting into my very first musical. And she was the first one to really sit me down and, and tell me like, you're very good at this. And, and, you know, she would help me with these skits. And she was the first one that made me really think like, you should really consider making this part of your life rather than just something fun to do. She was the first person to really push me into it. And I'm really eternally grateful to her for that you know she's she's like an aunt to me like I mean we we still talk she actually just called me last night and and we were chatting you know because she's going to come see the show when we're in Seattle because that's where she lives now she she moved out of Bullhead and it's I I still thank her all the time whenever you know I mean we we talk pretty regularly so it's not like every single day I'm like thank you so much but I do you know that kind of stuff comes up often he prefers to play eight ball, was equally bad at all sports, and sorted into House Slytherin. From the National Broadway tour of beautiful The Carol King Musical, we thank James D. Gish for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It was a great time. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic. Beyond the Mic.